All right, and we're live. All right, so intro and everything. So uh, welcome to the State of Cloud Native. Today, we're going to be learning about Knative, and we're joined by uh, Evan Anderson, Staff Software Engineer at VMware, Technical Oversight Committee member of Knative, and then I'm sure you're a maintainer on, uh, maybe, are you a maintainer on serving right now, or? Um, actually, I am, I have, I have two other hats that I wear, but serving is not one of them. Okay. Um, one of them is the security working group lead. Oh, wow. Um, and the other is the VMware representative to the trademark committee. Awesome. All right. So let me go ahead and move on to the next thing. So I'll say it was great to meet you at KubeCon. I think that's the first time I've met you in person. I, I uh, before I had just gotten a lot of help from you on, on Slack and everything. And you were super helpful. You made it very easy to get into the community and start working on stuff. I think you even helped me with like reviews and, and stuff like that. I think the whole community in Knative, uh, I, I think I have like a, We've got a lot of nice soft spot. You have a soft spot for it because I, I came in at a good time when you had Matt and all these chain guard people and everything that were there helping out too. And everyone was super helpful. It was the first they, real they weren't open a chain project. Guard at the time, but yeah, they weren't chain guard at the time. Right yeah. They're chain guard now. Um, everyone was super helpful. And like I'd done OpenStack and stuff before, and it seemed like it was a lot more like siloed. It was a little bit harder to get help. There was all these like weird hoops to drop, to jump through, like to get stuff submitted. But everyone at, everyone in uh, Knative made it super easy. The Everyone was super helpful with like answering questions and, the how to get started documents am, was the best. I am I have almost an allergic reaction to process. So yeah, um, I I understand that it's useful sometimes, but um, I really like more processes. It just kind of kills me. So well, I say the I think the documentation guide, like how to get started contributing. Like I, I try to replicate that anywhere else that I make something, just because it was so easy. Like here are the steps to get started immediately. Right, like clone it, add. Add upstream, mm -hmm. like say, do not, do not push and all that stuff. Like just the, that list of things to make sure that I'm not doing something wrong made it super yeah. easy. So I'll say I got to meet you in person. Uh, thanks for the time, you know, taking the time to talk to me at the, at the booth and stuff. That was awesome. Thanks for coming on here. Uh, I mean, I it's, guess we'll move. it's awesome to get to meet people, you know, in person and, and reconnect, you know, you do something together for like a year on a project and then like people disappear and you get to see them again elsewhere. Yeah. Fun. I, I want to come back eventually. Like that's what, that's what I'm trying to get to eventually. We'll see. We'll see if I can. Like the contributing was the most fun. Like just hopping in there and and learning how to like use GitHub. Even like I, I use Git, I learned Git a lot more through using that. Like having to squash things, and everything which I hadn't had to yeah. do as much when I'm just working on my own thing. Right. So, how would you rate uh, this this year's KubeCon for for K Native or even for yourself? Like, did you did you uh, have a lot of good talks? A lot of good people like show up and and ask you about K Native. Is there like an uptick in interest or? Um. I'd say there's been a kind of a steady interest, but it's been like the first KubeCon that Knative, you know, after Knative was announced, there was sort of a little honeymoon period and everyone wanted to know about it. And then um, after that, there was a long period where um, Google wasn't like, was making funny noises with the CNCF and like, wasn't clear exactly how open the open source project was. Um, and I think that spooked a lot of people and now we're finally in the CNCF. And so it's been nice to see a little bit of a thaw and like, oh yeah, we can talk about that project. Um, Did whereas it felt a little bit like, oh yeah, there's Knative, but we can't really talk about it because it's, you know, Google's given CNCF the cold shoulder on this project. And so yeah. like CNCF doesn't want to talk about getting the cold shoulder. And now they're, you know, now everybody's buddies and friends again. You know, we had a little tiff, but now it's all over. Um, it's easier to talk about too now, right? So you had, did you have the, this is the first time for the Knative Con too? How did that, did uh, you uh, attend that? Or? The first time second, was okay. in Europe. 
Gotcha. First, so um, first in a, but first did you NA present one. there or did you uh, get to meet people there? Or I did get to meet a bunch of people there. Um, actually the really exciting thing is getting to meet people who've been using K native who like aren't in the community, like asking for things or contributing, but they're just, they're just happy users. And yeah. that's kind of fun. Um, Cause that's really my goal is to make software that people don't want to come to me for help on because it just works. Um, and that they, they use, right? Like it's nice to actually <laughs> write something that people end up using. <laughs> um, okay. So I guess, I guess we'll go ahead and move into the the questions. So it sounded like you had a good time. Knativecom was fun. Hopefully there'll be another one at the uh, one in Amsterdam and then maybe the one in Chicago. Um, so it's worth coming, I guess, a couple days early too, to, to be able to go to that before the event starts. Uh, um, I'm actually not sure exactly what the, um, whether we're going to have a Knative con or a serverless con, um, prior to Knative joining the CNCF, there was a serverless day, um, which covered all sorts of serverless technologies, not just Knative. And it was kind of nice to actually have folks there and not feel like the topic always had to be Knative. All right, um, so let's go ahead to the question. Sorry about that. Yeah, I had to was blocking a uh, so, some spam on one of the channels. All right, yeah, but if, if anyone has questions too, like feel free to post it on one of the, the channels. We'll get it over here so you can actually uh, ask Evan a question. But let's and go ahead. I'm, and... I'm going to say that I actually only attended maybe ten or so KubeCon talks. Okay. Because um, the big attraction for me going to KubeCon is not necessarily going to the talks, although I'll go to a few of them. Um, it's the hallway track and getting to yeah. like meet up with people and talk with them about stuff that we have mutual interest in. That's maybe not, um, you know, not a specific talk. And then later on, I will also, you know, I'll have gone to a few that were like, I really wanted to see this talk. I really wanted to see that talk. And then later I'll hear from other folks, Hey, here's this other talk that was really cool. And then I'll go watch it. Um, cause the actual, you know, talk, talk part, you know, gets recorded and it shows up on YouTube yeah. in a couple of weeks. But um, the in-person folks, um, like, I'll say you're, I never got to do that before. I'll say you're pretty popular too. Like I came up to the booth a couple of times just to see like if I could, if I get a couple of minutes and you had people like waiting in line to talk to you. So obviously some of the stuff that you were talking about was, was super engaging. All right. So I'm going to move on to the questions now, just so we, uh, we got a lot to get through. So we'll say what, what is serverless? So what do you, what do you say serverless is? I guess maybe in the context of like Kubernetes or just in general. So I actually draw a pretty big tent for serverless. Um, my feeling is that serverless technologies are um, technologies, infrastructure that helps you build distributed systems. So there's more than one computer involved, but you don't focus on the servers. You don't think about a server as a unit of execution. So um, this covers stuff. Um, this covers stuff like AWS, um, uh, Lambda and, you know, Google App Engine and things like that. But also um, like S3, you know, you're like, I stick some objects up in there and you don't worry about like, oh, hey, I stuck like six petabytes of objects up in there. How many servers is that? You just, you're like, store some objects for me in this bucket, go. Um, similarly, um, something like Google's BigQuery, I'd say is very serverless. You put a bunch of data in there and you think about it in terms of queries and it tells you, hey, you know, it cost you this much to execute it or it used this many like mega cycles or whatever. Um, but you're not thinking about it in terms of, oh, that spanned out my query to like 30 servers. And I had to load my data onto those 30 servers or something like that. The servers disappear. 
So think and of it like really as a consumable service instead of kind of like just a, oh, I have to manage a bunch of my servers and stuff. So what you don't, you don't know that you don't know how many servers there are and you don't care. Yeah. So then what is, what is K native and how does that get me to serverless and Kubernetes? So Kubernetes is not necessarily serverless. There are ways you can use it that are serverless and there are ways that you can use it that are not serverless. So, um, like stateful sets, I would say, are probably generally not a serverless idea because you care about the, like, which replica is which. And, like, I've attached storage to these, and they each have their own copy of the storage. Um, Knative is on the other side of the spectrum. If you've ever heard of, like, the 12-factor manifesto, um, there's this set of principles that Heroku threw together, oh, like, 14 years ago or so. And they're still good. They're still pretty good. Um you know, scale out horizontally by running, running many copies of your server, act as a network service over the, you know, expose all your, your interfaces over the network. Um, and like, don't do it through like shared file system, janky stuff that people have done in the past. Um, and, you know, mostly you end up looking kind of stateless and in the K native case, it's an HTTP server. And when we need more, we'll just, grab it and make more of them. And we need fewer, we'll kind of squish it together and you'll get fewer of them. Um, and so it's a very serverless way of using Kubernetes. You know, you don't care how many servers you have, you don't care how many instances you're running right now, the system will run enough for you. I if remember you're thinking like, about, I need to provision another unit of capacity myself, you're probably not serverless. So I remember like, so this is a little bit more solved now. I remember back in like 2008 or so, like at Rackspace, and the idea was that I'm going to have a bunch of servers waiting for me to expand into when the holiday rush comes in, mm -hmm. right? So like now this is just, instead of thinking of the servers, like I've got a couple of servers, I've got a bunch of servers already running, I'm thinking about the services expanding and then like they can expand a lot faster than having to set up a server, get it I going. Because At the end this... of the day, it does land on servers and you do yeah. need to have physical capacity. But hopefully your developers don't have to think about that and you have somebody on the infrastructure side who says, you know, Hey, jotting up our total usage of CPU and RAM, you know, I draw these trend lines, and that means that in a week or so, you know, on cyber, you know, on Black Friday, we're going to need these kind of resources. Have you uh, seen any like user stories or anything like that? Where there maybe the HBO story that was it a couple of a uh, couple years back where they're talking about scaling for Game of Thrones? Like, is that like a good use case for this? Do you think like having a bunch of different like front ends to, to it, pull from it, or it they have to scale up storage? For many years, Snap used Google App Engine in this way. Okay. Um, so every time you interacted with a Snapchat app, it went and called the Google App Engine app in the back end. And that scaled to millions of requests per second. Wow. Um, but it's also good for really small stuff where you just don't want to have to care about a server. So I've seen people throw together like Mastodon instances on Cloud Run, for example, and be like, yeah, you know, Google, you handle you handle the number of copies of servers that I need. I don't know what they're doing for their Postgres and their Redis. Like, sorry, but so, you know, like I just want to run a thing and I don't want to have to care how much of it there is, is another great use case. It doesn't have to be huge scale. So it's not just scale to zero. I mean, That's scale to zero, if you're running a small thing can be nice. Hey, we turned it off because you weren't using it. Um, I hear lots of lots of folks being scared about you know scaling up from zero and how long that takes, and I don't think that's a critical part of serverless. It's something that you know 
once you've got a thing out there, you can choose to tune and turn on or off. And you'll see that even AWS Lambda has given you the ability to turn that off. Um, but, you know, if you're running something small and it's not like you're okay waiting a couple seconds for it to start up if you haven't been using it, then serverless lets you basically run it almost for free when you're not using it because it's just sitting there waiting to be turned on. But then you still have the the min max. So you can actually have like a, a min set amount of that you want. So say, I always want at least five running. Yeah. And then you can have I mean, a max. So like you don't end up spending so much money if you get like. Or you know, running out of capacity in your cluster. Yeah. Um, another way to do that with Knative is simply to set um, resource quotas on your cluster and, um, you know, on your namespace such that that namespace isn't going to blow up past a certain amount. And what I like about that, and it's part of, the way we built Knative is that we wanted those tools to still work for administrators. So if you just say like, hey, this namespace, you know, my cluster has 200 gigs of RAM and like 90 CPUs or something like that. And you're like, this namespace can't use more than 50 gigs of RAM and 20 CPUs. You know, they're never gonna overrun the cluster. Even if you get a massive scaling event, at some point they're just gonna close the door and be like, sorry, we can't serve everybody. Um, but you, you can make the like, decision hey, if you want to. My entire cluster melted down. So then you can make the decision if you want to change that quota to, to reach demand, right? Like instead of just... I mean, I mean that's a business choice. Yeah. <laughs> can I afford it? Um, so that's a good question. Can then. I afford it? Am I willing to take the risk of taking the whole thing down in order to serve some more customers? Yeah. Did you, So when did you start with Knative then? Like what, what year did you start working on it? I started working before Knative was a thing. Okay. So you made some um, of the design decisions and stuff then around it. Around August of 2017 or so. Um, Google had a App Engine on VMs product called App Engine Flex. And there was a lot of interest in Kubernetes and some of the other network technologies like Istio that were starting to circulate. Um, could we rebuild basically App Engine Flex on open source technologies? Um, would it make sense? And so we did a spike on that, learned a bunch of interesting stuff. Um, and later on that year, um, Oren Tyke, who was the PM for serverless, said, you know, hey, Google has these two serverless products that are mostly alike in their underlying infrastructure, but um, the way you interface with them is very different. We've got App Engine and we've got Cloud Functions. And how can we unify the two? And the answer to how can we unify the two was, um, you know, that XKCD, you know, there's 14 standards, let's create a 15th. And as part of that, we said, this should be open source, you know, statement, this should be, you know, there should be an open source implementation. And that became Gnative. And we started working on that API in December of 2017. Um, by January, we had a rough draft that we started showing around to some partners of that, what that API would look like. We had no code for it yet, but we knew, you know, routes and configurations and revisions and what those fields might look like and what the life cycle of all those things would look like and how you interacted with them and what like updating your configuration meant and you know how we would route to that on the routing side and we knew the features and the traffic splits and stuff like that that we wanted and then we built um alongside our partners like um ibm and red hat and pivotal um, and I think trying to remember who else Cisco was in there and there were one or two other companies, um, at that point getting ready for the launch announcement. 
um, frantically building this thing. And my job was actually to keep the um, hosted Cloud Run product and the open source Knative product API compatible. And so, you know, many years later, now here I am, you know, sitting on the, the conformance committee from VMware with all of this history behind me of, you know, hey, how can we make it so that you can run this stuff on Kubernetes and we can run it on Cloud Run and you can move a container from one to the other and just go. So I guess that's a, you brought up a, a good point too. So when some people think of serverless in regards to this, they might think of functions, right? So what is the difference between, you know, Knative and just functions, right? Like, so is, is it at a lower level? Like Knative is a little bit lower than that. It doesn't just give you, hey, I'm just gonna run a bunch of functions. I still need to make a container. Um, well, so we've recently introduced a solution for that. Um, amusingly, we got started on that whole process um, shortly before the pandemic hit in the Knative project. And then everything got detoured by both governance questions and you know everyone had their own particular technology they were attached to. And a couple of years later, um, well, we'd had a pandemic and I think the technology space had cleared just a little bit. And we were able to come together and say, hey, we should actually make functions be a first class part of, of Knative. Um, so a function is basically a wrapper around your business logic. So the idea for something like AWS Lambda or Knative functions, um, the theory is you just write business logic and you don't have to think about how do I wrap and unwrap things and so forth. Today, we're not quite at that beautiful level because um, you wrap and unwrap things maybe as a cloud event or an HTTP request or a Lambda invocation from S3, but you still like care about the S3 wrapping. And you're not just business logic, you're business logic plus handle the S3 wrapping or handle the cloud event or something like that. But functions hopefully take some and over time takes more of that off of your plate. I'd love to see like a function layer for a given language that really understands business processes and you know makes that serialization and deserialization transparent for you. Um, so, so you're kind of like the underlying technology for some of the some of the things that are out there. They're running Knative, but then they just present to the user like a function, and then they build a container for them and stuff like that too. Instead of so that's just, what Knative, fun Knative functions there. does is okay. You know, you write you write some code that's just a function, and then we build that code plus like a standard wrapper, you know, hey, if I wanted an HTTP server that took cloud events and called a function, here's the function, here's the wrapper. The wrapper does all of this stuff correctly that maybe you didn't care about, you know, like yeah. exporting metrics correctly or, you know, setting up logging or whatever, you don't care. You know, you just want to be able to write your business logic and have the infrastructure stuff be managed on your build space. Um, I think... I think that was one of the big things too, like back when people were trying to define serverless, they're like, well, wait a minute, I have to do all this other stuff for like Knative, build my container and stuff like that. I thought I can just like post code. But um, what are you so using to build containers? So um, serverless platforms where you can just post code. Yeah. The problem is if you don't have a build process, it makes it hard to use dependencies in languages like Python okay. um, or Node um, or use Go or Java at all. Like, yes, you can post a jar or a Go binary. But then like you've had to write most or all of a binary yourself. Um, but for languages like Python or Node, you can, you know, you can pre presumably just pack in 
all of the node files or all of the Python files until you get a module that calls out to C or something like that. And then all of a sudden, like that module doesn't work anymore. And if you look at early Google App Engine, it had exactly that problem. It was taking your source code and shoving it into an existing container that was ready to receive it. And without containers in a build process, they had to be like, uh, you don't get like the image magic libraries because those are parsing like thousands of different image formats. And we know there are bugs in there. We don't know how many bugs, but we know there's a lot. I think digital oceans like app run was kind of like that too, right? Like they just yeah. pulled from GitHub and then like, how do you troubleshoot that? I guess you got to look at logging and you depend on the uh, vendor for giving you enough information. Yeah. At some cool. point in serverless, um, unless you have a local mirror of the execution environment, you end up having to look at the outputs because there isn't like a server you can SSH to. <laughs> so what, what are you using to build the images? While you're SSH right. in, I've had that happen to me debugging things on Knative many times. Oh, wait. I forgot to keep poking that process and now it got shut down. So Tekton came out of Knative, right? So are you using Tekton now to build images? Like, have you started consuming that or what are you building images um, with? So we're kind of up a layer in functions. Um, so yes, when Knative started, we were like, hey, we need to build these containers. Let's, you know, define something that can build things. And then the folks who were involved in that were like, hey, you could build lots of things, not just serverless containers. Let's go off and make this a full-fledged build and deploy things, which was in many ways great, but also kind of left a little hole for like, what was our functions plan after that point? Um, and the answer to that is that we are using cloud native build packs as a standard way to transform code into container. And you can run those locally with the pack CLI but you can also run those build packs using Tekton on the cluster, or there are a bunch of other platforms that use cloud native build packs too. So like VMware's Tanzu application platform natively builds, um, you know, containers out of build packs. And so um, we use a tool called Kpack that runs on the cluster to do it. Different than Tekton, but the same basic idea. And we use the same build packs, you know, VMware is shipping Java and Python build packs, and we use the same ones in the, Tanzu application platform product as we ship to open source Knative. I think everything's moving so much faster. Like two years ago, you're like, you use Tekton and then something to build Docker and Docker images, or you could look at like Jenkins and try I mean, to do it. You can look at like a, Conoco, a or you can, Conoco, yeah. expose, um, you can expose the Docker socket. Exposing the Docker socket isn't super awesome um, because you're kind of giving, you know, potentially giving root on your cluster unless you yeah. do some filtering. Um, Conoco is great, except that it's really slow because it can't take advantage of the kernel and has to do okay. a bunch of user space hacks around that. Um, cloud native build packs make other trade-offs. Um, there's tools like Co and Jib um, that again, make different trade-offs in order to build stuff. We haven't fully figured out building containers easily yet. Gotcha. So I guess let's move into, so for Knative, we're talking about CRDs, right? So what does Knative do to make it easier for me to, to get into serverless with Kubernetes, right? Like, cause it, it, it hides a lot of things that you have to set up, right? So what does, what does Knative give me? Like I, I described something in YAML, what does it actually do for me? So that was, it's, it's great that you mentioned that. That was, there was a blog rant um, early on in the Knative development cycle. Like maybe even before we'd started, it might've been like November of 2017 or something like that, that Joe Beta highlighted, um, 
on Twitter and said, yeah, this is still too hard. Uh, that was basically like, is Kubernetes too complicated? And Joe's take was, Kubernetes is trying to solve complicated things. It has to be complicated for that reason. Um, it builds a bunch of abstractions that are different than the ones you know. And that's really what makes people angry is that they have to learn new and different abstractions. But there's a second critique in there, which is the one that really resonated to me. I'm trying to do some, something simple and well understood. I'm trying to build a 12-factor application, you know, an application that's stateless, that uses network services for everything and scales out horizontally. How do I do that easily? And on Kubernetes, the answer is, well, you need to understand containers and you need to understand pods and you need to understand deployments and you need to understand services and you need to understand label matching and you need to understand ingresses. And you might want to understand horizontal pod autoscalers and pod disruption budgets. And maybe there's a couple other things you need to understand too. So, you know, you come in and you're like, I have this business problem to solve. I need to, you know, deal with the tax laws in, you know, 470 jurisdictions. And Kubernetes says, great. Make sure you leave enough space in your brain for these eight concepts. And you're like, I just, you know, great. I've learned these things. And now I remember the tax laws in 382 jurisdictions. How many was I supposed to know? Um, and that doesn't seem good. And so Knative aims to, when you're solving things in a simple and well-known way, um, make it simple to declare and to do. So um, in this case, that means like, hey, I'm declaring a stateless service. Matt Moore has famously pointed out it fits in a tweet. Um, you say this, it, you know, I want a Knative service, a little bit of templating shape that makes it look a little bit like a deployment. And you say, I want to run this image. And Knative will inject, this is the port you should listen on. Um, I wanted to so pull many, out the Docker metadata, but it turns out that that's a really bad idea because of the way Docker layers are structured. So I lost that one, but I learned a bunch in the process. Um, and how many replacement? How many? How many YAMLs have you replaced with that one? Def, with that one definition of of something? Um, about three. Um, so you've replaced a deployment, a service, and an ingress. Um, you've gotten some features that are not in Kubernetes. So you've gotten a, I mean, ingress is only partially in Kubernetes. The definition is in Kubernetes, but the implementation is elsewhere. We let you bring your favorite implementation as long as it meets certain criteria. Um, in practice, that means gateway API, um, courier, or Istio. Um, I'm really excited that gateway API may be expanding that set broadly. Um, but you get scaling based on concurrent number of requests. So you can say, hey, my container can, can handle 10 requests at a time, rather than saying, oh, I want to handle 10 requests at a time. That usually means about X CPU load. Would you on a minute by minute basis keep track of what my CPU load was and try to adjust things for me? Um, because Knative knows it's solving a particular problem, we can get that cycle time down to a few seconds for measuring that concurrency. And then, um, we can scale reactively based on that. Whereas the normal horizontal pod autoscaler is on, I feel like it's on a one minute cycle, which um, 
if your requests take a couple seconds, it is sort of feels like an eternity in terms of scaling up and scaling down. Um, we'll also automatically, if your cluster administrator has configured it, do TLS for you. It, you know, you can do that with Ingress if you have Cert Manager and you put the right annotations on it and you know your cluster issuer. Wait, you just had to learn about cluster issuers and like new concepts yeah. again. Um, so our goal is for developers, hey, you don't have to learn most of these concepts. Your cluster administrators need to get the right stuff installed and configured, but they needed to do that anyway. And we're going to reuse the tools they already had to do that. And for developers, it's just less stuff. But there's also some affordances for stuff you really encounter that gets a little weird with deployments. Like, oh, hey, um, you know, most folks live with Kubernetes in what we call in, in Knative YOLO mode, um, which is you basically you push something and you see what happens. Um, and if it didn't go the way you wanted, then maybe if you're lucky, like your deployment rollout stops partway through with a progress deadline exceeded. And then you have to figure out what that means. And you get to look in the Kubernetes documentation and learn that deployments don't create pods, deployments create replica sets. And okay, here's how you get back to an earlier replica set. And here's a bunch of things. In Knative, we expose that as a first, first class concept of revisions. It adds some extra lot extra stuff once you're no longer in YOLO mode, but it makes it really easy to go back to something that was working previously. Because my experience in Google the first four years was in SRE. And when something broke, um, step one was to take traffic off the thing that broke. And step two was to undo anything you'd done recently. You do step one first so that users stop getting hurt. And then you do step two because if you change something, that's the most likely thing that broke is you touched it. Um, so you can, so like, say I've got, I've got Istio installed. I've got cert manager. Mm -hmm. I got all this stuff. You add value by making you remove complexity and then you add value on top still. So you're doing I mean, more than just automating my Istio cert manager deployments and, and I mean, all most that. Of it is we remove the complexity for yeah. you that I think removing complexity is a big value on its own. There are a few places where we add some value, but a lot of the value that we add is actually again, removing complexity. Gotcha. So like so, I could do all this myself or I could just use like the tested yeah. stuff that you've done, like you've done load testing. You're you're using pieces of Istio to where I can do A-B testing. I could use revisions and send traffic to certain things instead of going yeah. into Istio and having to do it, right? I can do it well, with Knative. Um, in particular, you might have to learn four or five Istio concepts in order to learn how to do it. We have a couple of fields that make it pretty easy. Um, we don't want to keep Istio from you. If Istio is the right tool for the job, we want to let you get down there and set Istio policies and stuff like that. Um, and Gateway API actually is their policy attachment mechanism. Looks like it's probably pretty compatible. Um, so I like that. But we don't want to force you on day one to show up. And like, you know, before you can be productive, you need to scale this wall. Show us that you're strong enough to be on Kubernetes. It's like, no, it should be like wading, wading into a lake. You can step just a little bit in. You can be like, oh, that's cold. I'm going to just stand here and acclimate for a while. And then I can go in a little further and I can be like, oh, it's cold again. You know, if you're one of those folks who has, you know, lots of time and energy, like my kids, you can just go charging right in and, you know, get right to the deep end, but you don't have to. So what, what's the recommended thing now? You're saying uh, gateway API and Istio and then Courier. Like I, I saw Courier was kind of new after I had left and, and come back. Uh, Contour to, like, as well. Contour, There's sorry. Another. There's Contour and Courier. Courier is a... Um, Interface I think Envoy we wrote 
because people felt like, oh, all this other stuff is kind of heavyweight. We could do something lighter weight. And it was true. We could do something lighter weight. Um, so there's a lightweight option if you don't need another ingress for some reason. If you do need another ingress, Contour is pretty lightweight. Istio has lots of features. Gateway API is where both of them are headed. Gateway API isn't quite done yet. Gotcha. So I think that was so the, we're going to keep part. supporting the old stuff and recommending it until the new stuff's done. We're not going to tell you go use the new stuff. And by the way, it's not done yet. So when's your what's your ideal time to capture a user uh, and have them try Knative? Is it after they've learned how to use Istio, Cert Manager, and all these things? Is it hey, let us let us help you with with our guide, install this stuff, and then we'll simplify it for you? Like, what's the best user for it? At what point in well, your usage cycle? So this is one of the things that I think. Kubernetes has done poorly that we've tried to do better, and it's a hard problem, is um, we have a couple of different personas. And so if you're a developer, I would say the best time is as you know, as you're getting into Kubernetes, find somebody who's running Knative and get some time and opportunity for them to like, you know, let you use their Knative. Um, so like IBM has a hosted service, Google has a hosted service, you know, there's I think two or three others out there and get started as a user that way. If you're a system administrator, I would say, you know, have a Kubernetes, you know, know how you're running that and then add Knative on top for your developers. Um, so we kind of have these two different personalities that we think about. We think about system administrators where we say, yeah, they, they have Kubernetes knowledge. They want to manage this just like other Kubernetes stuff. And then we're like, here's developers and developers, like you could go and do your CCAD and learn all that stuff. But if you're building stuff in like a 12 factor way, maybe you could skip the CCAD and just go straight to Knative because there's a lot of funky little details in Kubernetes to trip over. And Knative really tries hard to sand off those rough edges. Yeah, I agree. All right, so let me see. What do I ask next? I've, I've skipped through a bunch of this stuff with uh, some of some of your answers. Uh, That's fine. Hmm. So you've already, you already answered, what can you configure with a single service? Let's see. So you already answered, do I have to use Istio? You said there's like, there's four now, so there's four recommended. There's, uh, there's four different options. Uh, and then, all right, so I guess we'll go ahead and move on since we've, we've covered a lot of stuff. So what's what's next for Knative? Like, so you said functions are coming. Is there anything else big on the horizon that, that's being worked on that so or something recently released? I feel bad for recommending this because both because I'm tooting my own horn and because we had AV issues. And so the mic recording is kind of terrible. But uh, my keynote at KnativeCon outlined a whole bunch of future directions that serverless on Kubernetes might want to address either in Knative or outside. Like if you want to show up and work on these things in Knative, raw thumbs up. I'm happy to try to support you. If you want to work on a separate project, you're like, Hey, actually, you know, we want to do our own like governance and community building and stuff like that. Um, one of the great things about the cloud native ecosystem is that there are all these different communities and that people are trying new stuff and I would love to have Knative interoperate with new other serverless stuff. Um, you know, it doesn't all need to be under a Knative umbrella as one big, you know, Knative monolith. We've built Knative to be modular. Um, 
but I talked about some stuff in serving um, where I think a couple of interesting questions. Um, one is, are there other opportunities like Knative Serving? Knative Serving was built to really handle 12-factor type applications really well. But maybe there's other patterns we could automate. Um, you know, one example is coprocessors. Um, you know, hey, like Envoy has this like WASM runtime, for example, that you can get in and you can use it to change the routing decisions that Envoy makes. Are there places um, where Knative would make sense as a coprocessor? Um, Flink and streaming and Flink stateful functions feels like one example of that. Um, maybe especially if you had a good way to describe a streaming pipeline that didn't involve having to write a whole bunch of Java to configure Flink. And then you were like, do this part, do a join this way, and then route it out to Knative to do something complicated that we can't describe, and then route it back into Flink to go do more stuff. Um, feels like it could be a good way to like join up your ML with your stream processing, for example, because ML is mostly in Python and stream processing is mostly in Java. Makes sense. So I guess, so Knative is not just um, serving, right? Like it's eventing Not too, just serving, so that's true. Yeah. So, so yeah, let me talk about the eventing and then the function stuff okay. as well. Um, so serving, I think, has a bunch of, what can we build that doesn't look exactly like serving, but um, preserve some of that spirit or, you know, fits it into new paradigms a little bit. For eventing, I think we've actually got a lot of um, untilled earth. So um, one of the things I highlighted is, you know, in my count, there's maybe like five different ways to do eventing. Like that you mean when you say, oh, we do events or we do event-driven stuff. Um, most of what Knative eventing does is event routing or event distribution. An event happened here, person over here needs to know about it. How do we get the message from A to B without A needing to know a lot of details about B and B needing to know a lot of details about A? Because what if I refactor A and it was like a monolith and I split it into three microservices? That shouldn't affect B at all. Um, similarly, if B like decides to go away, we don't need that anymore. You know, does A need to know about it? Does A need to change anything? Hopefully not. So that's what Kenny of eventing is good at today. Um, stream processing is, is another eventing modality. It's pretty different. It's about, hey, here's a sequence of things that happen over time. How can we collect and build insights out of it? Um, and that looks pretty different from event routing. You're concerned about correlations and sometimes about joining things like, you know, hey, you know, I'm collecting all of the events from like your electricity meter and my electricity meter and all the other electricity meters in Washington state. And like, I want to detect if there's a surge in usage. And in that case, I need to find like across all the different times, are there places where things step up? And so I need to kind of bring the data together and pull it apart. Um, in ways that Knative eventing really isn't designed for, and that's okay. Um, a third modality um, is task queues. Um, here's some work. Um, the way Knative serving works is basically it says, you pour in as much work as you want. Um, I'm elastic in terms of compute resources. I will add more compute resources in order to make sure that your latency stays about the same. But another way you could approach this is pour in work and the latency will adjust as the compute resources stay about the same. And 
these could actually be really complementary to each other. If you have stuff where the latency, where it's pretty latency insensitive, you could run it as a lower priority in a cluster where you're running Knative serving for the higher, you know, at a higher priority. As Knative serving takes more space, you have less for this background stuff. As Knative serving drops off, you have more space for processing it, and you can use your clusters more efficiently. Um, we don't currently have a great task queue type mechanism. There's a bunch of stuff that people want to do there. Like, I want I want to schedule this task to happen 40 minutes from now or on Tuesday. Um, you know, I want this to, you know, I want to be able to take a lease on this task and detect if somebody didn't finish it so I can restart that work. You know, there's a bunch of stuff there. You could build a really interesting thing. Knative eventing and cloud events doesn't really have that thing right now. Um, like most use cases you're talking about are like day six. Like I've I've gone through day one and day two. Now I'm like thinking about things a lot in a lot more complicated ways. Well, oh, man. I'm going to talk about that in a moment too, but uh, that's a different thing. Um, another use case is broadcast, which is again a very different thing. So most of this stuff, event routing and streaming and so forth, you want to make sure that at least one computer has touched this piece of data. For broadcast. You really want to make sure that every computer participating has gotten the data, which means that particularly when you combine it with serverless, where you don't know how many instances of computers you've got, you've got an interesting problem of this has to get, all, get to all the computers. How many are there? I don't know. Um, but broadcast is useful for things like cache invalidation and cache invalidation. But it turns out cache invalidation is important. So. Um, it would be interesting to see what a good serverless cache invalidation or broad or general broadcast kind of event mechanism is. And again, so you don't really want to reach out and poke each individual one because then you have to have to keep track of them all. And that's I guess where Kubernetes comes in handy because you're like sending it to like a, a cluster IP or something like that, or sending it to a specific thing that's already keeping that list for you, so you don't have to manage it. I mean, I think something like Kubernetes Watch may be a good mechanism for that. Um, do you want to use Kubernetes per se for that? I don't know. Um, Kubernetes is mostly intended to be a control plane. And if you start treating it like it's a heavy duty data plane, um, you can break the control plane aspects of it as well as the data plane aspects. And so maybe you sense. want a separate thing that you can kick over. So and I it doesn't affect the... anything else. Nat Victor... is a great Vic... example of a product in that space. I think that's the the change too is everyone's just calling it a, a more of a, a platform and stuff and a development platform and a thing that you can start doing more with. Like v Victor brought up an interesting thing saying that some people may use it without even running containers. They're just trying to define things and use Kubernetes as a way to automate deploying different things. Like you guys are, I mean, all are saying interesting things to. I think Kubernetes is great for controlling things as long as your scope of control is several seconds long. If your scope of control is like half a second or a quarter of a second or something like that, um, I suspect Kubernetes may be a little bit too heavyweight for what you want. Something like Nats works well in that broadcast space. Similarly, something like Flink works well in the streaming space. Um, there are some task queue products. Most of them are either cloud-based or are tied to a specific language or both. I know Mastodon is sort of the most recent rage and it uses Sidekick, which is a Ruby library for tasks. And it's great that Ruby has a library for tasks, but what if some of those sidekick tasks are best managed in Python? Well, do you re-implement everything that sidekick does in Python and build interoperability? 
do you have Ruby? Go and call Python. Um, it would be nice if there were a network protocol there and everybody could just agree on what that network protocol looked like. And maybe you had something that looks a little bit like the Knative Q proxy that's a sidecar that helps you speak the protocol if that's what you want to do. Um, well, gotcha. I, think we, I so, can't believe we already, we already hit like almost 45 minutes. <laughs> it's gone by so I quick. Talk a lot. And, yeah. um, but I wanted to address the, the day six thing you were talking about. Um, okay. Briefly, one of the things that I've tried to think about as we've been working on Knative is people talk about day one and day two. And that feels really unrealistic because they're like, day one, you're building something. And day two, like the second day, you know, you are like running it for all your customers. And, you know, this is famously from Jeff Bezos's, like, we never want to be a day two company. We always want to be building new stuff. Um, but you'll note that Amazon actually does run a lot of stuff and does have to worry about a lot of these concerns. Um, so it's an interesting thing. But I think there's actually more phases than that. Um, so I like to, to talk about things in sort of a day, week, month, year scope, because I think that sets more realistic expectations for people. Um, and in that scope, day one, you don't want to install anything on your computer. You want to figure out how does this thing work? But like, you're probably looking at five things and you don't want to install five things on your computer and then just have them sit there and be like, uh, you know, I trusted this developer enough to, you know, let them run arbitrary install code on my machine and now I don't use it anymore. It doesn't feel great. Um, so in day one, stuff like Katakoda is awesome because you're like, here's somebody else's machine. I know it gets thrown away at the end. It's got stuff installed. I can see how it feels. You know, pictures, marketing pages or architecture pages are actually super useful. Like deep reference APIs are probably not all that great. Um, then at the week scale, you know, seven days, um, you picked one of those things. You're not in the shopping phase anymore. You're in the, you know, I've got this thing. I'm proving it out. So you're probably probably working on your own to show that it works, building a proof of concept. Maybe you're using source control. Maybe you aren't. That's really up to you. At, at you know, the one week mark, if you're on your own, you know, you're going to show it to your team and be like, we should do this. Look what you can do. Um, at the month level, hopefully you've either convinced your team to do it or, you know, again, you've fallen out of the funnel. And so at the month <laughs> level, your team is working together and you need tools that work at a team level. Hopefully you're using source control at this point. You might be using multiple instances so that like, you know, Evan has some crazy idea and Mike is like, I can't do anything right now. Is something wrong? And it's like, oh yeah, Evan, you know, did the blah, 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 blah. And now like nothing works. And you're like, but I had stuff I needed to get done. So giving people their own instances at that one month mark feels pretty important. And maybe there's some instances that you call special like staging or production. Um, but production doesn't really mean as much at the one month mark because you probably don't have a lot of customers at the one month mark. At the one year mark, you have customers. Other people's ability to make money depends on you're doing the right thing and you're managing things well. And so that's another transition. Stuff that was okay um, on the first day or the first week is not okay after a year. You know, you need, you need IAM, you need RBAC, you need audit logs and things like that. Um, and I feel like the day one, day two discussion ignores a whole bunch of that first day, first week experience that's actually really important to adoption. Even if in the long tail of things, 
those are features that you don't necessarily want to use. Um, I think that's a better description too. It's easier to, Go ahead. So it's easier to think about that after doing projects to think of it as a, like a longer time scale. Yeah. Instead of saying day one, day two, let's, I, I learned this actually related to Knative build because the early versions of the Knative serving API had a spec for how to build the container. And the idea was, you know, when your Git source code changed, we do a new build and we deploy it as part of serving. Um, and it took a little while, but people convinced me that this was actually a really bad idea. And the really reason it was a really bad idea was, you know, okay, great, you had a build spec and maybe as part of your build, you could say, run all my unit tests. And if my unit tests fail, then my build fails, don't roll it out. That's awesome. And then you want to start doing integration tests. And so maybe you extend your container build to also do an integration test. It starts to not look so good. And all the investment you put in up to that point, you need to throw out and switch to a different tool. And that didn't feel good. And so that led me to believe that no, we shouldn't have a how to build this container in a serving, you know, it was nice to have it all there. And it was just one thing, one, one thing you could kind of put your hands around, but um, it wasn't nice and happy from a, hey, we got to day 30. And now all of a sudden you're telling us that this day seven stuff that we invested in is a bad idea and we need to throw it out. I think that's good about like CNCF and Linux Foundation and stuff like that too, is that there's room for, hey, this is a great idea, but this should be outside of it. And the better projects are, are good at saying, no, we're not going to add that in because that changes the scope completely. And now we can't focus on the thing we want to be good at. Well, you so can't very... focus on the thing you want to be good at. And in this case, we led you down a blind alley, you know, down a dead end path. And like, if you're mad at the end of that, you're right to be mad at us because we should have known better. And so... You know, in the end, the right thing to do was to say no on build like that. Now, functions is much more tightly scoped. If you look at it, it's not promising to build your container and so forth and like be the whole thing. It's promising, here's a set of tools for taking your source code and producing a container. And you can plug that into your delivery pipeline. It doesn't have to be, you know, here's your source code. And then after your source code, immediately, like it's going into production. And this was gotcha. a problem, you know, since I'm at VMware and I see this, this was something that always bugged me a little bit about Cloud Foundry was, you know, you built your app and deployed it in your staging cluster with CF push. And then you took that same source code and you went to your production cluster and you did a CF push and you did another second build. And then you deployed that new second thing you built, not the thing you'd previously built and tested. And theoretically, your compilers are the same and it should all be work out the same. But it always felt just a little weird to me that like we went through all this trouble of building this thing that you could reproducibly deploy. And then we went to a new place and we had to build it again. And Docker always... obviously don't, you know, have that portability and that reuse across clusters. And there's always a chance for something to change somewhere and someone not to update something correctly. All right, I know you've got some other stuff today too. Let me go ahead and wrap us up because we're getting we're getting close to time. Um, so where do I where do I go to learn more to contribute? Where can I where can I go? Are you looking for contributors? We are definitely looking for contributors. Um, this is actually something that I'm probably going to try to do a little bit of this afternoon. Um, right now, 
most of our stuff for contributors um, is at github.com slash knative community. Um, the website has a contributing section. It has some of that same information, um, but a lot of the data is on GitHub. And um, that was one of the things that got highlighted to me during KubeCon was that people go to the website and they assume that the website has all of this information. And, you know, folks who are living the project day in and day out, they use GitHub, you know, and they look for stuff on GitHub. But if you are tiptoeing into the community, you want to be a lurker, you know, you want to find out what this is all about, um, then maybe GitHub isn't the place you're going to look first and you're going to look on the website. And so one of the action items I have as a TOC member is to make it more clear how to participate in the community, not just contribute to the project. And I think it's important to call out that distinction because you can be part of the community if you're a lurker. If you just read the messages on the, you know, Knative dev mailing list, or you just, you know, watch the recordings of, you know, or watch the meeting notes. We take pretty good meeting notes for our working groups. You are part of the community. If you install Knative, you're part of the community. Even if you're never going to, you know, put a line of code back. Even if you're not going to show up and say, hey, we're an adopter. Please add our company's name into the adopters file in the community repo. Um, and we need you do to, user surveys too, right? Like those are always welcome. answering a user survey, you know, asking a question makes you part of our community. Um, and I think we haven't done a good job. When I talked about personas earlier and patted ourselves on the back. I don't think we've done a good job of separating the member of the community persona from the, I contribute to Knative persona. And I think we should do a lot better job of that. And so, you know, it's only November, but there's my New Year's resolution for you. Oh, awesome. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we uh, wrap up? Um, I mean, I think the the other meditation I would have is, um, you know, there's a huge number of projects on the CNCF landscape. Um, a bunch of them add value at different stages. And we sort of need to figure out, okay, like it doesn't make sense to adopt all of these. What are the different on-ramps? You know, how do we get people into the community effectively so that they are enjoying and excited and want to participate more? And I think, you know, hey, here's a cluster that we've already got that has Knative on it and you can get a namespace in there and you can, you know, with a bit of quota, um, is a nice way for people to be able to get started and to poke around and to, you know, poke underneath and see what's going on. Um, so they can see the value without having to put in. A, you can see the value, but you don't yeah. have to like install and run your own Kubernetes to do it. And I think more places where, you know, hey, you know, this is really for developers. This is for folks who don't want to run their own cluster and, you know, don't want to think about their infrastructure but have these needs. I'd love to see more projects looking at stuff like that. Um, Pinniped is an example of a, I don't remember if it's a VMware or CNCF project, but um, it basically extends your Kubernetes cluster by making it easy to do OAuth. And it's always felt to me like, hey, this is really great, except it sucks that 
like adding it on is so hard and it would be really nice to have a cluster that already had you know that and i've set that up from for for a couple of my clusters using auth zero which has a lovely free tier and so um yeah i have clusters where i can use my google or my github credentials and you know log in um and actually the great thing as a developer is that i can have two different accounts one from github and one from google and i can give them different levels of permissions and see what that feels like because so often we sort of run around with cube admin privileges and we're like this is how everybody lives but most people don't have cube admin and you know giving them a reasonable view of what's going on without letting them destroy the cluster by accident seems like it would be really nice we're de destroying it on purpose to see if you've given too many permissions <laughs> yeah. but if you're new and learning um we've been taught by all these apps that there's like an undo button yeah um Linux doesn't give you as much of an undo button as a lot of other platforms. But, you know, if I take my important presentation and I press, you know, command delete on my Mac or delete on, you know, in the Windows, you know, in the Windows shell, it doesn't go away. It goes to the recycle bin and yeah. then I can get it back out if I need to. There's an undo. On the other hand, if I'm on, you know, Linux and I do an RM, it's gone. Yeah. We need true. more stuff like Mac and Windows for people rather than stuff that assumes you're an expert and you'd never RM the wrong thing. It's better, yeah, it's better not to be punished for making mistakes, before. just making yeah. them learning events instead. All right, yeah. cool. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap up then. Thanks for joining us, Evan. It was great having you. So uh, we'll be out next week. Uh, be back in December. And I think we're going to have another host uh, join uh, Dawn. So you can, uh, it'll be our third our third host. We'll start adding in more people. So thank you, Evan. Thanks so much. I'm going to go ahead and end me. now. Yeah, thank you. All right, I'm going to end the stream. Yeah. Everybody have a great weekend. All right. Bye. Bye.